Today, we're going to deal with lessons from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But as my opening this morning, uh, I'm going to have my friend and brother Reggie, who leads our Learning Academy, he's going to open the sermon for me, all right? So, Reggie, you're on tape here. You're, you're, you're nationwide now, all right? So, but Reggie, welcome. And uh, Reggie had asked me if he could share this. I knew Reggie's story. But the fact that he was open to sharing it publicly, I, I just so appreciate it and believe very much it fits into all that God has been trying to speak to us uh, over the last six weeks. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Yeah, I asked Pastor if I could uh, share my testimony, and um, he said yes, which shocked me and scared me a lot. But I thank God for this opportunity. Um, again, my name is Reggie Carpenter, and um, the limitation that I have that I'd like to share with you is what's called uh, dyslexia. And to explain dyslexia is kind of hard because some automatically think of um, letter reversal, you know, uh, mirror readers. Um, but in my case, basically to boil it down, I'm left with a third grade reading and writing level. Um, spelling, very bad. Penmanship, very bad. Script, I cannot read script. I would have to have my wife read a little letter from me or what have you that's in script. Um, and that means in practical terms is that uh, newspapers, I can't read because the average newspaper is like seventh, 10th grade reading level. Um, I can't read magazines, I cannot read. Um, books, uh, one book, I said I'll see how long it takes me to read through an actual book. Uh, 350 page book took me about two months to read through, um, giving it a good amount of time and effort. Um, filling out applications, reading my own mail, I cannot do. It would take me a very long time. So again, it's not an easy um, life to live, being a 40-year-old man, having a family to support, um, career goals and plans and ambitions, but yet with a third grade reading level. But I, and, and coupled with that, the emotional issue behind having a learning disability like dyslexia. Um, I think back on the way I was treated in school. When I was put in uh, what was called special ed at that time, well, I was put in a class with kids that were in wheelchairs, kids that had emotional problems, um, kids that would bang their head up against the wall um, and just be strapped down in a chair. And that was my environment for growing up in public school. Um, in high school, um, you know, where you want the peers, you want your peers to accept you and, you know, you want to be a part of what's going on, I was always rejected, shunned, because I was seen as disabled, handicapped, or retarded. Um, in high school, they had the term for us, um, it was, uh, I forget what the letters were again, but it was come ready-made dumb class, is what they called the class that I was in. But I thank God through his grace, you know, in spite of the rejection, in spite of the misunderstanding, in spite of the, the shame coupled with that, also low self-esteem to deal with those issues. Um, I come to take this passage very personal since day one of being saved, uh, where he said his grace is sufficient for me. I prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, take this away. You know, how can I live a Christian life and yet have to read this big book it has so many thousands of pages, speaks in these and thous, and so foreign to me in the first place, but yet God gave me away. He said, well, get the Bible on tape. So I studied the Bible on tape, and I listened to it over and over again, went through it, listening. Um, and God showed his grace is sufficient for me. 
again, the issue of, of, of um, two major issues being saved and also supporting my family. I have a family support. How can I do that? But yet again, God had made a way. He had um, given me opportunities to take um, computer exams. I come to find out they were supposed to read the tests for me because I'm legally handicapped. I never knew that. No one ever told me that that was an option open for me. Um, I passed the computer exam. Um, I'm an A-plus certified computer technician. And um, I... Yeah. I thank God that he opened the doors and made ways for me to educate myself. Basically, what I wasn't given in school, the Lord showed me ways of how I can teach and train myself. Um, again, opportunities of being uh, director of the Learning Academy. So it's, it's a blessing to me, and I just thank God for the opportunity. Another open door. And as far as uh, a career choice, um, I wanted to get into computers. In fact, I took an exam from a special uh, organization supposed to help out people that have disabilities. And went through the testing, went to the psychiatrist, went through all their procedure. And his recommendation, when you read through all his um, rigmarole and all he figured out, his bottom line was a career choice for me was to be an information person at a mall. That's in writing. And what I did with that letter, I took that letter when I got that, that letter. I remember in the Old Testament, it was a man, it was a king who had a threat from another uh, king and said that this king was going to come and tear him down and destroy him and stomp him into the ground. And he took that letter and he brought it before God and he prayed. And he said, he said, God, you see what this king is saying against us, Lord. And I took that letter and I did exactly the same thing. And I prayed over that letter. I said, Lord, you see this letter? You see what this doctor, this DD, DD, whatever, after his name is saying about me. But Lord, I believe you're bigger than that. I see, I see this verse that said, your grace is sufficient for me. Your strength is made perfect in weakness. And, and I did that, I went through the course again, and I finished the course, got my A-plus certification, and Monday I start as a level one computer technician in one of the largest hospitals in the city. So I say all that to share with you that, that God's grace is sufficient. Whatever your limitation is, whatever it is that's in your life that's limiting you, that's holding you down, Give it to God. Lean not on your own understanding. My own understanding was I'm dumb, I'm retarded from what they told me. I cannot achieve. But in God, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. And for those of you who don't know, Reggie teaches our foundations classes of discipleship, and he's one of the best teachers we have in New Life Fellowship. And so, Reggie, God bless you, man. We appreciate you. Okay, let's read chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, which is his life passage, uh, which is phenomenal about the lessons from Paul. Verse 1, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up in paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses, underline that. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain 
so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Now, Paul was the founder of the church in, in Corinth. He was the apostle who planted it. But what had happened, over time, these other fellows had emerged in the church. They were called super apostles by Paul. And they had great leadership gifts, apparently. They did signs and wonders. They, did, they were very charismatic. They had unique revelations and visions from God. And their basic attitude was, you know something? This guy, Paul, he's not worth a hill of beans. He's weak. He's broken, whatever. Look at us. We've got it together. And basically, Paul's leadership and authority was diminished. And so Paul is, and these guys are claiming special revelation and authority from God. So Paul writes this letter to reclaim his leadership, to reclaim that he's, he's the apostle sent from God. And, and what he does here is he begins by saying, listen, you want me to boast? These guys are boasting about their revelations, their visions, their insight into God, their miraculous power. Let me tell you something, guys. I've got some on my resume, too. And so he begins in verses 1 to 6, and he goes, I mean, you know, I've had a lot of visions and revelations, too. Let me just tell you about one. And Paul didn't speak about them very much. Now, if you read the book of Acts, Paul had some amazing encounters with Christ, saw Christ in Damascus Road, had various visions. But this one happened 14 years prior to writing this. And, and he was actually, it says here in verse 2, that he was caught up in, in, in the third heaven, which we don't fully know what it is, but paradise. He, he, he actually was in the presence of God, and, and he says, I, I heard things that are inexpressible. And, and he wasn't boasting, he wasn't walking around arrogantly like, listen, guys, this is what I've been, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I've been there and back. And, and, and he, he doesn't say hardly anything about the experience 14 years ago, because Paul says, that is not the basis of my authority. So I'm not even going to go down that road. In fact, Paul says in verse uh, six. Uh, in fact, I'm refraining from telling you anything about it so that nobody will think more of me than is warranted. Because I, I don't want you to think more about me than you should. So what he does is his whole argument is, is so crazy. Because what he says is, no, the reason that I'm really the one with authority from God is because of how weak I am. I mean, the very thing that he's being criticized for, he goes, you don't understand, that's my badge. That's what gives me authority, and that's what I'm going to boast about. It's my weaknesses. So then in verses 7 to 12, he begins to lay out all about his weaknesses. What's so incredible to me, and I, I still can't get over it, is the way he focuses on his weakness to show the power of Christ and the fact that, yes, God really is moving in and through me. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you two lessons from this text. So put the overhead up. And the first is this. It's really now in verses 7 to 12. And that's that God is absolutely committed to your weakness. That's number one. Now, I know that you're not committed to your weakness. In fact, you're committed to not being weak. So am I. But hear this. God is absolutely committed to your weakness. Now, in verse 7, it says, 
to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, in the original language, Greek, and also if you have American Standard Version or Revised Standard Version, you'll notice it says it twice because that's what it says in the original language. Uh, to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Then it says, to keep me from becoming conceited. So the thrust, he wanted to make it very clear that God, out of his love for me, to keep me from becoming arrogant and proud, lifted up. Remember that sermon on proud, uh, proud, pride and humility? That pride is being lifted up. Humility is being grounded. And Paul says, uh, God gave me a gift and to keep me from being proud or conceited or puffed up or full of myself. And it was this thorn in the flesh. You know, it's kind of like quiet time, you know, spending time with God every day. You know, sometimes I, like you, I, 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 I get up in the morning or take a lunchtime and I'm there, you know, praying in the Bible and, and like it's just not happening, you know. I feel like God's a million miles away and, you know, I'm reading the Bible, I'm not getting much out of it. Do you ever have that experience? And you say, oh, you know, and, and let me tell you something. But something great's happening at that, at that time anyway. What you're saying by taking a little bit of time to spend with prayer and the Word with God is, what you're saying is, God, I'm dependent on you. I, I need you. And what you're saying by not spending time with God, when you go day after day after day, is like, you know something? I can live my life independent of God. I can do just fine. I don't need, I don't need to rely on God that much. And so why, why spend time with Him? Why spend time to get myself centered? I'm moving along. Life is working just fine for me. And you know what happens when you start going like that. God will throw you a couple of fiery thorns your way to get you back. And Paul understands that this barrier of pride, there are many barriers to following God, but this is number one. This was the very thing which Satan, when he fell from heaven, was he wanted to be like God. It was pride. And it is the first sin of the universe, and it's something in our blood. It's something in part of being in Adam in sin that we puff ourselves up like balloons. And when that happens, when there's not humility, when there's a puffed up pride, all kinds of ugly stuff follows. Work, relationships, your walk with God, inability to love, it's a disaster. And so God, to his people, what he does is he brings these things called thorns in. And Paul understands that. You know, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it says, it was given to me. I'm in verse 7. It was given to me a thorn in the flesh. He knows it's evil in and of itself, but that's a phrase in the original language of saying, I recognize this was a gift from God. This was sent to me from God himself. So God says, I'll bring circumstances, situations in your life to make you weak. In fact, God says, I'm so committed to your weakness that I will, I will make sure there is at least a thorn in your life. Some of you are saying, I have about 30. Some of you went and created a thorn factory, and you made a few for yourself. You ever find that when you, when, you, when you first invite God into your life, you know, we think he's going to come into our house and our lives and look around and say, oh, you know something, you could, you, could use a little new, you could use a new floor in your living room. And you know what, let's get some wallpaper over here in your bedroom and, and let's put some pictures up over here and let's clean the house up a bit, maybe get you a new sofa. And, and uh, we think how nice to have God in our life. But then after about a year, God says, you know, this electrical system's a mess, it doesn't work. We gotta we gotta pull it out. And we gotta rewire the whole house. Ah, before you know it, you got cracks in the wall, holes in the wall as God starts rewiring the house. And then by year three or four, God says, You know something? The plumbing doesn't work. It smells in here. I can't get rid of all the excrement. And so God begins to get knock out ceilings and bathrooms and dust all over the place. 
And then somewhere along the line, as you, now you got God in your eyes, saying, I didn't really sign up for all this. And then about, you know, year five, ten, I don't know when in your journey, all of a sudden you look, you, one day you wake up, you look out the window, and you see a wrecking ball. <laughs> and you say, what's, God, what's the problem? And God says, the whole house is shot. The whole foundation is rotted. I got to redo everything. I got to rebuild the foundation. So comes the wrecking ball and he knocks the whole thing down. You had that happen to you? And so the thorn here, literally, a thorn of the flesh is, is, is a word for a stake. It was used in military warfare. When your enemies were attacking, they'd put stakes up and it would, it would discourage them and keep them from progressing forward. A thorn is, is something that God puts in your life that keeps you from moving forward. It detains you. It, it's slowing you down. In fact, the word in King James Version is buffets. And because it has the meaning of it in Greek too of it discourages you. And it's a great theology of discouragement. Thorns are discouraging. And the, thorns are meant to discourage you and slow you down. And, and, and in a sense, they, they cast you down. Now, Paul never tells us what his thorn is. We don't really know. What, what exactly was his thorn? I think God did that on purpose. You know why? Because you're supposed to put in your thorn in there. Whatever your thorn or thorns are, you're supposed to say, yeah, what was given to me by God was this, and we're to fill it in. Now, it's a gift of a handicap. It's a gift of a disability. It's a gift of a limit. And, and it's going to be different for every one of us. Now, for Paul, we're not fully sure what it was. But there's at least three options. One is some scholars believe that he struggled with certain temptations that he never fully was able to get over, like anger or bitterness or judgmentalism or perhaps lust that he struggled with uh, his whole life uh, before going to be with God. Others believe it was the agony of people misunderstanding him. I mean, his closest friends misunderstood him. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that's a thorn being misunderstood by people who loved you. His whole life in Christ, he was plagued by the people he was trying to serve and love, never fully understood him. And he had enemies that literally hated him. And thirdly, and some believe that his thorn in the flesh was a physical ailment, that he had epilepsy or some kind of a physical, obvious sickness that, was, he, that he couldn't heal. So, you know, it was an eye problem or a speech defect. We're not fully sure but a lot of indications that Paul was a sick charismatic. You know, he, he's a guy running healing meetings that couldn't heal himself. He's a guy doing miracles for other people who can't get a miracle for himself. And so, again, these other people saying, what kind of an apostle is that? Look at him. And so, again, we don't fully know. It could be any of the three. It could be all the three. But thorns cut across the strongest people in the room here the smartest people in the room here, the most self-sufficient people here. Thorns cut across age, culture, status, color. Every one of us thorns come. Now, it's a universal human experience. So let me ask you a question. What are your thorns that maybe God has given you? Now, for Reggie, it was very clear. Uh, it was his dyslexia. Some of you, it may be the fact that one of your children that God has given you has a special need. And uh, as you know, when that happens, your entire life shifts. Or it may be that it's a parent, an aging parent, and when that happens, your whole life shifts. Or for some of you, it's, it's addiction, and uh, you come out of uh, addiction recovery, and you recognize that 
you can't even touch a glass of wine you, you, or, or, or a glass of beer. It, it, everyone else can be sitting there enjoying it, but for you, you're so weak for whatever went on in the past that you can't even go near it. Now, maybe drugs, the same thing, or it may be uh, dependence, whatever your addiction might be. It, it's, it makes you so weak. And every day, it's one day at a time. It's a thorn. Or, you know, others, it may be pornography or certain music or movies. And you know what? You're just so weak. You can't even watch some things on TV. You can't. You know, or you know there's certain blocks you can't walk by. Or there's certain servers you can't even use in the computer. You can't even be around it. You're that weak. Or, you know, maybe emotionally. Some of you struggle with clinical depression or anxiety or something else emotionally. And, you know, you realize I'm only inches all the time away from a breakdown. It's incredible. That, that's how fragile I am emotionally, that I could tip over the edge. Or perhaps because of family of origin issues, you find yourself in relationships, you're kind of distorted. You're over-responsible sometimes. You're trying to fix everybody. Or you're under-responsible and you isolate yourself and you, and you seem to go in big, big swings. And you struggle so much with just balance or wholeness in, in, in relating to people properly. For some of you, singleness is, is a thorn. You know, it's like a splinter in your heart, loneliness, and, and that goes with that. For some, others of you, marriage is a thorn. The emotional unavailability of your spouse, the lack of intimacy. Some of you, it's bad memories. I, I, I hear about it. Bad memories of past relationships that haunt you. You know, maybe it's a husband that walked out on you 20 years ago for a younger woman. Or uh, if you're a guy, maybe you were engaged to someone and your fiancé walked out on you because she found someone more successful and more dynamic than you and yet haunts you many years later. It's bad memory. When it does, it cripples you. I can go on. Failures and their effects, uh, cancer, physical sickness, and all that follows with something like that. Certain temptations. Some of you have a tendency to judgmentalism. It's amazing. You realize you can get around certain people. And stuff can start coming out of your mouth. That's come, you say, where did that come from? And, and you realize there's a level of bitterness or judgmentalism or anger or rage that sometimes can emerge out of you when you get in certain situations that you frighten yourself. So I, I, I don't know. Being misunderstood, that's another one. But in our culture, is, is really marked by not weakness. Can you imagine, like, this is Super Tuesday coming up. Could you imagine if the Democratic contenders and the Republican contenders stood up and said, vote for me, I'm weak. I'm the weakest candidate out here, so the power of Christ can rest on me. I mean, I, I mean who's voting for the guy? I mean, now, my, my dad gave me this this past week, uh, an issue of Forbes magazine. I think it was a hint. And uh, the title is America's 400 Richest People. The billionaire next door. A mass affluent class emerges in America, so what's it like to be rich? And, I mean, our, our culture is about wealth, it's about success, it's about prestige, it's about power. I mean, this is what, it's in our blood from the time we're born in this nation. And so, uh, you know, the premium, is, the premium is on success. The premium is not on weakness. This is not the way the culture is going. And so when Paul says, God's absolutely committed to your weakness, that should frighten you a little bit. Because that's going against the grain of everything you have drunk since the day you were born. I mean, we treat failure as terminal. Failure of a marriage, failure of a relationship. You get an F in school. You don't make a sports team. Your dream gets dashed. Your marriage falls. Whatever it might be, you go bankrupt. Now, the scary thing is that, that we bring this into the church, into Christianity. And so what happens is we've got 
all these folks who we're not trying to be weak. We're trying to be strong. We're trying to be successful. We're trying to be powerful. We bring in the very culture into the church. And what ends up happening is like Eugene Peterson calls it. We create, instead of churches, we create shrines to Baal. We feed people's pride and arrogance and selfishness and ego because we don't want to hurt people while God's committed to our weakness. And so, you know, like the super apostles, these guys that Paul was dealing with, they weren't weak. They were powerful. They were strong. They were mighty. And they were like elder brothers. They were Pharisees. They were religious. They were puffed up. So I don't know. Probably thorns were coming their way. And you know what? They were denying it. They were, in, they were withdrawing from it. They weren't acknowledging it. But they were not allowing that thorn to do the work in, its, in their hearts. So imagine Paul without a thorn. Just try to step. Imagine if Paul didn't have a thorn. He could have been a mean guy. I mean, he could have intellectually cut people to pieces. I, I read an article in the Times recently about, a, about a, a, a Muslim cleric in Iran that was a disciple of Khomeini. And in 1983, they were, they were sweeping through Iran, getting rid of all the uh, leftists, all the communists. And so this number two guy under Khomeini, who was supposed to enforce Islamic law in the country, found out that his son, 25 years old, was a Marxist. And so he himself led the police to his son and had and watched as eagerly, assented eagerly as they executed his 25-year-old son. And uh, in this article, he's talking about it. And he says, you know, Abraham didn't sacrifice his son, but I did. And he said with a chuckle, even today, I don't regret it. So the reporter asked, well, what about your, your wife? How did she respond? And she goes, I don't know. If she has any thoughts about it, she has kept them to herself and I haven't asked. But I thought to myself, you know, what happens when we don't get a hold of this thing of weakness, we're dangerous. We're dangerous. We start killing people. Paul would have been dangerous without a thorn, and he realized it. He realized this was an enormous gift from God to stop him, to discourage him, to hold this guy down, to keep his feet grounded so the power of Christ might rest on him. The paradox is that in failure and weakness comes growth and power. It's not what we're taught, it's not what we're heard, but for some of you, success may wreck you. It may be the last thing you need right now. This is the great gift from God, and God somehow works in that process as we struggle, because when I think for weakness limits first hit, we hate them, don't I hate them. I don't want to be weak. And so, like Paul, it says in verse 8, it says three times, he says, look at that, I love this, three times I pleaded, I literally, I cried out to God, take it away, don't you say that? God, get rid of this limit, I hate it, it's, it's wrecking my service of you. And, and when he says three times, that's symbolic, that it was urgent. It wasn't like, I prayed once, twice, three times, you're out. No, it was urgent, passionate, over and over and over again. He says, God, get rid of this thing out of my life. And uh, you ever say like to God, God, I can't take it. I can't take it. This is not 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where God, you promise no temptation will take me, but such as is common to man. You'll never give me more than I can handle. This is more than I can handle. Get rid of it. Did you ever say that? That's when you know it's a thorn. You're saying, God, you're pushing it too far. That's the thorn. And so Paul's saying, get rid of it. And then finally, he, he processes, as he's praying and working this through, it finally breaks through and he gets it. He processed the thorn. Now, how many of you have email? Raise your hands. All right. Good, good number of you, okay? Some of you don't. Now, emails, if you use it, has an attachment you can put to the email. Now, on every thorn, there's an email attachment. 
And the way it works in the computer is when you get the email, a little, little box is an attachment. So you can press the button and you get you know, another attachment letter that goes with the email. So when the thorn comes, there's an attachment. Really, there's two attachments. Satan's got an attachment and God has an attachment. Now the question is which button you're going to push, which email attachment do you want to read? Now it works something like this. Um, Satan's email attachment is to discourage you. God's email attachment is to build you up and lead you to the power of Christ. So let's say, for example, you wanted to marry somebody, and at the last minute they turn you down. Now that's a thorn. So you know you feel weak, you feel discouraged. Now now you open up the email. You got the thorn there. Okay. Now there's two emails. So you open up Satan's email, and that message says, "All right, you know something, Pete? You're a failure." You're terrible, you're stupid, you're unlovable. In fact, you know, some women are terrible too. Don't trust them, hate them. You know, they're no good. All right, well, okay, let me close that email up. Let me try God's email here. Maybe that's going to be better. Because with every thorn, there's a message from God. Again, the messages will vary. The, the generic message is my, is my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. But yeah, the message of God's may be, you know, uh, it's my grace, Pete, that saves you, not the opposite sex. And it's not what they think of you that's going to give you worth and value. It's me. And as long as you think that your identity is found in this person, you have no power. And so I want to set you free now so you can really have a healthy relationship without projecting God onto that person, that you know who you are and that my love for you is unconditional. And it's not based on what other people think. So you can look at your, at your emotional stuff and your handicaps and your disabilities and say, oh, I'm a loser. Or you can say, no, wait a second. This is a gift from God to drive me to grace and wean me off believing that God loves me based on my works. You see, the reason God loves you, one of the great things that happens as you open up your email on your thorn and you, get, and you wrestle with the process, you realize, wait a second, God loves me because of Jesus' righteousness. And and I let God down over and over again, but God loves me because of Jesus' sake. In other words, it's not that I'm good, it's because Jesus is good that God loves me. And so it's those limits and hitting the wall of the weakness is it drives you to realize my value and worth, my salvation is really based on Jesus, not my performance. And that takes a while to work into your soul. I like what Brother Lawrence said. He says, all of us are like trees in winter. We're stripped with little to give, stripped of leaves and color and growth, but God loves us unconditionally anyway. And that's what happens as you get a hold of, number one, that God's absolutely committed to my weakness. Now, go on to number two. Let me try to wrap this thing up. There's the second lesson in this text, which you need number two, and that's that God's power flows most strongly in our weakness. Now, God's power can flow in your strength because God does give us strength. And you're to use your strengths and talents for God. But that's not where his power flows most strongly. You've got to hear this. His power flows most strongly in our weaknesses. So those of you who feel the weakest are the strongest potential anointed people in our midst. That's this passage where he says in verse, uh, verse 9, my, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is a rule of the kingdom. This is the key to serving Christ. And that is that, that God's grace or his power is enough. And that I don't want to say this word. Is, is grace, his power is made perfect in weakness. I'm saying, I, I looked up every word of his made perfect. What do you mean, God, your power is made perfect? I, I don't want to be weak. If I, I look at weakness, no, this is going to mess everything up. God said, no, you don't understand. 
It's the optimal, it's the, it's the epitome of power is when you're so weak is my power then can flow through. And he goes, my power is actually made perfect. It's more glorious. I'm saying, no, God, if you would say heal this blind guy or raise this guy from a wheel for wheelchair, that would be power. God says, no, 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 no. You don't understand me. It's in your total weakness. When you offer that to me is when my power comes. It's out of the weakness. It's out of when you can't. It's when you're on the bottom and then you say, oh, God, I offer myself to you. And then I move through. He goes, that's when you see power. Now, that's why Paul says, I love when he says in verse 9, I, I, therefore I will boast about my weaknesses. How many of you are boasting about your weaknesses? No, we're not boasting about our weaknesses. We're embarrassed about them. And he goes, I boast. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. For those of you who know the Old Testament, that's the phrase for the Shekinah glory falling on the tabernacle. He goes, I boast about my weaknesses. Why? So that the glory of God can be upon me. I mean, oh my goodness. I say, is he crazy? What is he talking about? When I feel weak, I want to run away. He's boasting about it. Why? So his glory of God will rest upon us. He's having a communion with Christ that he could never have had any other way outside of his handicap, his disability, his limit. Do you understand? It drives you and me to dependence. It strips you of relying on other things outside of Christ, and it drives you to Him. Now, let me just throw this out to you. I, I, this is from um, the message from Eugene. It's a translation of the New Testament, and here's how he translates these verses. Once I understood this, I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride, and with good cheer, these limitations cut me down to size. Abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. So the weaker I get, the stronger I become. So, so for example, your gifts, some of you, you're weak, you've been beaten down, you've got these disabilities, you say, you know, I'm not going to use my gifts. What am I, I got a little bit here to give. I mean, well, you know, I, no, 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 no. Offer that to God. You're weak. That's right. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We come with our weaknesses, and God empowers them, and they become strong. So whether it's teaching or hospitality or leadership, you're right, you feel weak. You feel like you can't. That's right. That's the way God crafted it. So you step out, and it better be God, because you know what? You say, I can't do it. I'm limited. That's right, says the Lord. Now you got it. Now Christ's power can rest upon you. You know, same thing with healing. Maybe you're sick. Well, God wants you to pray for others who are sick. But I'm not well myself. God says, don't worry about it. Some of the sickest people are the best Success in praying for healing for other people. Sharing the gospel. How many of us don't share the gospel with people because we feel inferior? We feel stupid. Oh, they're educated. I'm not. Or they know so much and I'm not. Or they're my boss. I'm the employee. Ah, forget about it, says the Lord. No, my power is made perfect in weakness. You'll see levels. Step out. You watch words will come out of your mouth. You'll have answers. You didn't even know were there. But my power flows through weakness. Don't you understand? If you think you've got all the answers, I can't move through you. You're all puffed up. It's too much of you. I can't get through it. Arrogance and pride just stops the flow of the Spirit of God. It's humility that sets everything free. God can move. And so you know, maybe you come from a broken family and yet unavailable parents. You're like, oh, you know something? You're going to be the best husband. The best potential wife, the best potential parent. You're not, you're weak, you're right. But now God can move through you and make you something wonderful. You know, I can go on. I, you, know, you, you can speak grace and compassion to people because 
You know your weakness. If you can embrace your weakness, you know something, and let Christ flow through you, you'll relate to everybody. You'll be compassionate and tender and soft and loving and mature. It'll be wonderful. I hope you notice that. If you look at this, God's absolutely committed to your own weakness. You know what I say to myself? God is not Glinda the Good. Do you know who Glinda the Good is? Glinda the Good is, 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 was the good witch in The Wizard of Oz. God is not like, okay, uh, what would you like, Stevie? You want, would you, a new job? Yes. Ding, your magic wand. Let me, what else would you like? Oh, yes. Would you like a house? Yes. And many of us hope that God's going to be Glinda the Good, you know, like a little magic wand, giving us everything you want. That's not God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, nor Paul. Others of us think that God is Mr. Rogers. You know, it's just a nice, wonderful, we, we don't, we have no theology for this stuff, you know, and, but, you know, still others of us, we, we got a concept of God, he's always mad, he's like the high school principal in a gray suit, he doesn't know your name, but he's going through your file, finding everything wrong with you, and you know you got to meet with him in a half an hour, and that's our view of God, and so we got at least this story of you, God loves you, he loves you so much, he's given you a thorn, maybe he's given you two or three, some of you have seven or eight because you didn't listen to the first one, all right? He loves you, and he's so committed to your weakness. He's not going to let you puff yourself up. He will find a way to deflate you. Now, you can get angry at him. You can blame other people. You can project. You can withdraw and isolate yourself and stay home, and I'm mad at God and church. And you can do all that, but you know something? You're not going anywhere. He loves you too much for that. He's coming back. He's come back to get your attention, to say, you know what? You need me. You were created to live life out of dependence on me, not independently in arrogance. And, and so let, let me just let me close with a little illustration. Because God wants you to bear fruit. There's a lot of fruit he wants you to bear, but it's not the way you thought it was going to happen. It's all mixed up. There's a story uh, about a water carrier, a guy in India, that uh, had two large pots, and he hung them on a... On a um, a long stick. He had one pot on one end and one pot on the other end. And uh, he, would, he would go and he'd carry these pots full of water and he'd bring them to his master. Now the problem was one of the pots had a crack in it. And so on the way from the stream to the master's house, one of the, the pot with a crack in it would lose half of its water. And uh, so for two years this went on. And meanwhile, the perfect pot is very proud of itself, its accomplishments, you know, not dropping any of the, any of the water, bringing it all the way. Uh, but the cracked pot was full of shame because it only brought half the, um, half the water. And he felt imperfect. He felt miserable uh, that he could only accomplish half of what he was created to do. And he kept comparing himself to the perfect pot over there and so felt lousy. And so finally, after two years, he sees himself as a total failure. And he goes to the water carrier and says, you know, I, I, I'm really ashamed of myself. And I want to apologize because uh, I've only been able to deliver half the water uh, to the master's house because there's this huge crack in my, um, in my side which causes the water to fall out. And so because of my flaws, you don't get full value for your efforts. So then the water carrier says, listen, cracked pot, as we, I want you to notice, the next time we walk to the master's house, I want you to notice all the beautiful flowers on the side of the road, on your side of the road. And so they walk, and he sees all these beautiful flowers on his side of the road. And the water carrier says, did you notice that there were not any flowers on the other side of the road, but there was only flowers on, on your side of the road? Because uh, I've always known about your flaws, and I took advantage of it. So what I did was I planted seeds on your side of the path, 
And so every day for the last two years, you've been watering those seeds. And so now there's all these beautiful flowers. And so what I do is every day I pick some of those flowers and I make beautiful vase full of flowers and I lay it on my master's table, which gives him great joy. And so he says, you know, without you being just the way you are, he would not have had this beauty to grace this house. And the same way in God's economy, nothing goes to waste. All your cracks and flaws, God uses all of it. And says, you know what? And I want to speak especially for those of you who struggle with shame and feeling of worthlessness. Oh, friends, you are in the best spot. Those of you who have failed most gloriously are potentially the most powerful in our midst. Because you minister out of that failure, out of that weakness, and the power of Christ flows through you. Listen, wouldn't you rather have someone who, who can counsel you who's been through 29 failures and not 29 successes? Well, I've done this right and this right. You, know, you should do the same thing. He said, get lost, you creep, you know? I mean, <laughs> but as somebody said to me first service, I don't want a doctor operating on me who's had 29 mistakes and I'm the 30th, you know? <laughs> but you've got to catch this, that whether it's you're proud, like one group, or you're feeling so inferior and shame because you've done you know, all of your flaws and cracked pots, it's the same issue. It's depending on your works for God using you. It's really a works righteousness, and it's not based on the gospel. It's not based on the love of Jesus for you. It's not based on what's Christ done for you. It's based on yourself. And what God's about is weaning you off that works righteousness. It's really a legalism, and get you on to him. So for those who are in despair, and I'm a wreck, no, that, that's, a, that's a reverse form of legalism. Because all about you. Say, no, no, it's about Christ. It's about his power on you. God doesn't love you because you're a beautiful, perfect pot. He loves you because of Jesus was a, is a good and perfect pot. It's a whole different basis for your value and worth. So you can use your gifts. You can step back and say, God, take me. I, I, I don't have much, but I give you the little bit of time I got, the little bit of energy I got, the little bit of gifts I got, the little bit of experience I got. Here it is, God. And God says, that's all I wanted. And God says, now my power can rest upon you. And my, my, now you'll see perfect power. You'll see a level of glory that you've never seen before. So I want to invite the, gospel, the worship team. Come on forward. And uh, I want to invite us. I, mean, I, I pray for us as a church that we'll be weak. That we will build a, a, a shrine to Baal. Because you know what? The weaker we are, the stronger he can be through us. And so I want to invite you to embrace God who's committed to your weakness. And then say, God... I don't know how, but I offer to you my weakness that you might be strong. So let's all stand, all right? I love what Eugene Peterson wrote in the message. Once I heard about this, I quit focusing on my handicap, and I began appreciating the gift. It was the case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Please bow your heads for just a moment. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34. What's your thorn today? That's just cutting right into you. And you say, oh God, I can't take it anymore. Say, Father, I don't see it as a gift right now. And I like Paul, Lord, I'm saying take it away. But God, I pray now, Lord. Help me to discern that which I am to receive as a gift from you. Not to discourage me, but rather to encourage me, Lord.
to make me weak, that I would depend on you and not run my life independently apart from you. This great song is about the gospel, the power of his love. And just let's let, let it wash over us together, all right? Just, Lord, help us to, to just be immersed and saturated in your love. That we can be okay to be weak and trust you that you're going to come through for us. We can step out in faith, oh God. Let's sing together this great song. You will set me free.